And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them. And they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the angels said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. And um, I want us to, to see Exodus 23, 20. God says, may they be like, sh uh, that first part doesn't belong. We start out there with a quote. God says, see, I am sending an angel ahead of you to guard you along the way and to bring you to the place I have prepared. God's promise to Israel was he was going to send an angel to lead them and guard them along the way. Now, why would God send an angel to take care of all of Israel and their wandering across the wilderness when those of us who are filled with God's Spirit and forgiven and empowered by His grace don't have an angel watching out for us? I believe we do. Angels guard us. We can't see them. That's not scientific. You can't prove it. But I believe God dispatches angels to watch over us. In 1975, Billy Graham wrote a book called Angels, God's Secret Agents. It was the first... Um, let me get to the right place here. It was the first book on the topic of angels written in the 20th century. Nobody was dealing with the angels. Nobody was dealing with it. Lots of books on demonic and the demons, but nothing on angels. Listen to how Billy Graham starts his book. My wife, who was born and raised in China, recalls that in her childhood days, tigers lived in the mountains. One day, a poor woman went up to the foothills to cut grass. To her back was tied a baby, and a little child walked beside her. In her hand, she carried a sharp sickle to cut grass. Just as she reached the top of the hill, she heard a roar. Frightened, almost speechless, she looked around to see a mother tigress springing at her, followed by two cubs. This illiterate Chinese mother had never attended school or entered a church. She had never seen a Bible. But a year or two earlier, a missionary had told her about Jesus, who is able to help you when you are in trouble. As the claws of the tigress tore her arm and shoulder, the woman cried out in a frenzy, Oh, Jesus, help me. This ferocious beast, instead of attacking again to get an easy meal, suddenly turned and ran away. The Bible says he will give his angels charge over you to guard you in all your ways. Psalm 91 11. 
Had God sent an angel to help this poor, ignorant Chinese woman? Are there supernatural beings today who are able to influence the affairs of men and nations? I believe the answer is yes. And he goes on with the rest of his book to uh, come, come at the study of angels from all kinds of perspectives. We're looking at it today from the Christmas perspective, from the Christmas story. And so I want to share five things uh, that we can learn about angels and how angels help us become better. Uh, and before I get into that, I just want to say to all the children, I want to remind everybody, all the kids that are here, if you'll make an attempt to fill out that outline you got when you came in the door, or hopefully you got it when you came in the door, if you'll make an attempt to write that out, and you might say, well, I, I don't know how to write yet, if you'll do some artistic work on that paper, and you kind of visualize what we're talking about, about angels, and come and show me, we have a special Christmas gift for you, okay, for all the young people that will fill out the outline and show it to me. Okay, here's, here's number one of the five. I got I to gotta go quick. Number one, angels point to the Savior. Angels point to the Savior. It said in verse 11, today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. A Savior? It's just a baby. You know, the Jews for centuries had looked forward to a Redeemer called the Messiah, the Anointed One, who is going to come and bring big changes. Who's going to overthrow the Roman government that occupied them. Who's going to reestablish uh, Israel according to the covenant that God had made with them. They were all excited about it. And it, the story had been told and retold so many times that everybody had a mental picture in their mind of this, of this uh, knight in shining armor who was going to come to their rescue, someone like Moses or someone like David who was going to be able to rally the people and, and give the shout of charge and everybody would pull together and go into battle and overthrow the Romans and reestablish a godly kingdom. They had this picture of this great leader who is going to lead them. But what we read about is a baby. A baby. What does a baby bring to the world except cuteness? Well, babies love you. No, they don't. You love babies. Babies don't. They could care less about you. They just want, 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 need, 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 demand, demand, demand. Isn't that true? There was a Messiah who had been promised to deliver Israel. And the angels are announcing, he's just been born. They don't get it. It doesn't connect with them. Just like the plan of salvation has a hard time connecting with us in our scientific minds. We want an explanation for things. It's just something you have to receive. Angels always point to the Savior. They always point to the Redeemer. In Luke chapter 15, verse 10, we learn this. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Yes. There's a Christmas party that goes on in heaven every time one person who's been blind, selfish, into themselves, walking the wrong way, doing the things everybody else is doing, and finally they open their eyes and they say, wait a minute, this isn't working like I thought it would work. Life isn't coming together like I hoped it would come together. 
I'm doing it wrong. God, I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to send your spirit into my heart so that I can live and I can see things from your perspective. When one sinner turns their attitude around like that, the angels in heaven rejoice. And if they rejoice over that, what are they doing the rest of the time? I think they're going to work on our behalf. I think they're going to work on the behalf of sinners to open their eyes and set things up in their life so they're so frustrated with their sinful life, they're willing to look to God. And I think they're going to work on the behalf of believers so we can live a witness for the rest of the lost world. He wants us to be different. Another scripture I want us to see about angels pointing uh, to the saviors in uh, John chapter 1 verse 51. And he said to them, most assuredly, I say to you, hereafter, you shall see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the son of man. Jesus is the bridge. He's the connector between this dark fallen planet full of sinful people and a holy God that can't understand our sin. We can't understand him He can't understand us, but Jesus is the ladder. He's the bridge. And angels are going to be ascending and descending, ascending and descending, back and forth, getting orders from the commander and coming down here to take action in our lives. This is good news. This should encourage us. Angels ascending and descending upon him. He's the key. Ignore the key and you don't have the interaction with the angels. We need to come back to Jesus. So angels always point to the Savior. Here's the second thing I want us to learn from this story. Angels point out small beginnings. Small beginnings. Babies are small, aren't they? I mean, we go to visit a newborn and we say to ourselves, Oh my, how tiny, tiny little fingers, hair's hardly even growing yet. On some babies. Notice three things that he mentions that are all small beginnings. The angel mentions. Number one, born this day in the city of David. Born, born, a baby, a baby. Babies are so exciting because there's so much future. There's so much hope. When they get to the teen years, we kind of lose our hope for them. <laughs> when they're babies, oh, there's so much. There's the dream. There's the, the, the excitement for the future. So much potential. We circle the date on the calendar, have a birthday party every year to celebrate the birth. Born. Babies are seeds. Seeds of something that's going to mature. They're like, like little, almost nothing. And yet they're alive. And it's just a matter of time before every seed grows into maturity, into something great. And notice the second thing. It says, it's going to be wrapped in cloths. It doesn't say clothes. It's claws. Like rags. Like things nobody else would want to wear. Just leftover stuff. He didn't, he didn't have 
a pajama party. He didn't have one of those. They didn't have pajamas. They had to wrap him in rags to keep him warm. And they laid him in a manger. You know what a manger is? It's a food trough. That's where they feed the animals. They put grain, hay in there for the animals to eat. He didn't even have a crib. He didn't own anything. He borrowed everything he had from the baby bed to the grave. Everything in life was borrowed. He didn't have to lay claim on stuff because his life wasn't about this world. It was about the next. Yes. I wonder if they had fleas or lice in that food trough. The point is, he didn't come into a perfect world. He came into a fallen world, born into poverty, born into nothingness, in a world where they had to run for their lives. That's the world Jesus stepped into to give us hope. So no matter how bleak it seems in your life, he came to give us hope. This is what Christmas is all about. The incarnation. Here's the third thing we learn about angels. Angels show us unity. Pulling together. All these angels came together. And they began giving glory to God. Singing praises to God. They all found how they could get on the same page. All the church could be what God wants it to be if all the Christians on the planet could just get on the same page. If we could just organize ourselves instead of splintering ourselves into so many tiny little groups that say, this is my church. And we forget that we're here to be a lighthouse to a lost world. So we're patting ourselves on the back when we come together instead of organizing ourselves to make a difference in a dark, lost world. Usually when something unites people, it's a common threat. We are, we, especially as Americans, we are so independent. We want to do what we want to do. We want to do when we want to do it. We want to do it the way we want to do it. But a common threat will make us that have different opinions pull together. Isn't that how our country got started? Thirteen colonies that all were independent and thought their own way, but they had a common threat. Great Britain and their overtaxation without representation. And those 13 colonies realized none of us can do anything independently, but if we pull together, we can do something. We can make a difference. And so they set aside their differences so that they could rally together and become one nation. That's where our country came from. In this world, isn't that the source of political parties? People who really don't have that much in common realize there's a common threat out there. There are people that want to do things with our country we don't like. So we'll pull together, even with our differences, so we can vote the other guys out. Right? Isn't that where political parties come from? People rallying together. 
the world would be different if we could rally ourselves together. We didn't see ourselves that different from the Methodists or Lutherans or the Baptists because we're all saved by one source. The blood of Jesus, what he did on the cross. In Matthew 26, verses 52 and 53, Jesus said to Peter, put your sword back in its place. For all who draw the sword will die by the sword. Do you think I cannot call on my father? And he will at once put at disposal more than 12 legions of angels? Jesus can take care of himself. He doesn't need us defending him. He's a big boy. He says, don't you understand that all I have to do is call on my father and he's going to send 12 legions of angels to defend me? People on this earth can't do anything to me unless I choose for that to happen. He laid his life down for us. Now, I don't know. How, I'm not sure how many a legion is because every commentary has got a different opinion. But let's say it's around a thousand people. If a thousand are in a legion, he says, all I have to do is call on the father and 12 legions of angels will be dispatched. Now, if I've accepted Christ as my Savior, if you've accepted Christ as your Savior, that means you are in Christ. And all you have to do is talk to the one you're in, Jesus, who sits at the right hand of the Father. You just say a prayer to Jesus, and all he's got to do is lean over and talk to the Father, and the Father will discharge angels our direction. That's good news. We need to encourage ourselves with that. We're not just left in this dark world being attacked by demonic forces all the time. Yes, yes, that happens. But God has twice as many angels as the Satan has demons. So I need to stay in connection with God. So angels show us unity, how to pull together in large numbers. Here's number four, fourth thing we learn. Angels connect God with man. Angels make that connection. In verse 14, can we put verse 14 up here? Got that? You don't? Oh, that's right. We tried to find it last night and didn't have it. Verse 14. Angels were saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth. Peace to those to whom his favor rests. You see the connection? Both heaven and earth. The incarnation is all about a connection between heaven and earth. It's all about God emptying himself of his glory in heaven and coming down to a dark world like ours. That's the incarnation when God became flesh to identify with us so that he could pay the price for our sin. This, this is good news. Somebody say amen. amen. This is the incarnation. It's God connecting with man. Now I had a, I was playing about a month ago, I was playing with my three and a half year old grandson, Gideon, and we got these Lego blocks at our house. Not the real little tiny ones, but the, the bigger ones for littler kids. And he was trying to build a tower. And he'd get this tower up about this, this high, and it'd, it'd fall over every time because it just was top-heavy. 
So we showed him how to get, uh, they, they have some bigger pieces with multiple uh, pegs in it, lay it down and we started on one side and gave it a platform so it had more stability, gave it a foundation. And we could go up about this high with that and it would, it would get top heavy in the tip. So we built a parallel tower alongside it up about this high till we ran out of that size blocks. And then we connected them together with a longer piece. That gave it stability. We were able to take that thing so high I couldn't reach up to put any more blocks on the top. You see, if we team ourselves together, if we, if we can gang ourselves and become a gang of believers, we can, we can go much higher than we could by ourselves. Those, those Legos, when I was a kid, we just had wooden blocks. We'd stack those wooden blocks up, and you could only go so high, and they'd fall over all the time. But with Legos, you can actually lock them in. You just push one piece into the next, get the next block, push that in, and they, they lock, they connect. What you and I need is to get locked in with God, and that's the role of the Holy Spirit, to lock us in with God, to make that connection. So that when I'm coming to the end of myself, when I've taken a wrong turn, the Holy Spirit, who's the connection, can speak into my life and say, ah, 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 ah. How many have ever heard him say that? <laughs> I don't like it, but I do like it. Because I'd much rather have him say, ah, 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 before I do it than afterwards. Luke chapter 16, verse 22, we see a story about a poor man and a rich man. It says, the time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. Do you see the contrast? He's not talking about money here. Money isn't the issue. It's what we're depending on. It's what we're relying on. The rich man who was relying on his wealth and his influence died and was buried. End of the story. But the poor man who had nothing was relying on his connection to God. So when he died, the angels carried his soul to heaven. Yes. You have a soul. It's that inner part of you. It's that part of, that's that real you, your personality, your identity that looks out of these windows. One of these days, your body is going to die, rich or poor, old or young, your body's going to die. It's your soul we're concerned about. God's concerned about. He paid for. Here's number five. Angels motivate a pursuit of God to chase after him to seek him out to search for him to hunt for him to go after him pursuing him if we don't pursue God we're never going to find him we have to look you're never going to find that lost key unless you look for it you have to hunt for what's lost to find it the shepherds said, after the angels disappeared, they saw this glorious experience. The shepherds said in verse 15, let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing. 
It's one thing to hear other people talk about their experiences with angels. It's another thing to say, I think I saw an angel. It's one thing to hear somebody else talk about how God changed their life. It's another thing to tell the story about how God changed your life. It's got to be personal. We have to chase after God. We have to pursue Him. We have to go and see ourselves. Listen to what God said through the prophet Jeremiah in chapter 29, verses 12 through 14. God says, Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. God is saying, because of the choices in your life, I let you fall into this place of exile. But all you have to do is call out to me and ask of me, and I will, you'll find me, and I will bring you back. Isn't this good news? God's going to bring us back to where we should be. He's going to get us back on target again. Going to get us back on the rails. But we have to call on Him. This is why we're going to start the new year off with an hour of prayer. Launch pad of prayer because it's a time for us to launch the new year 2019 we're going to start out on January 2nd a one hour prayer time from 6 to 7 right here and we're going to commit our 2019 to him so I hope that 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 doesn't conflict with your work schedule that you can come from 6 to 7 on that the first the first Wednesday in the new year to commit our way to his path to seek him to chase him to pursue him Back in 1902, there was a uh, biscuit company went in business. It was called the National Biscuit Company. And they began making animal crackers. That was a fairly new thing. Animal crackers had been around for a long time, but they come in a big barrel. They uh, made them in England. It was originated in England, animal crackers, little, little cookies shaped like animals. And they would put them in a big barrel and ship them across the ocean. And then they would go to some general store someplace and people would go down there with their, with their baskets and they would get a certain amount of animal crackers out of this big barrel. Actually, that's where the term cracker barrel comes from. And they would take them home. Who knows how stale those animal crackers were by the time people went to the general store to get them. So American manufacturers begin to take on that idea and make their own fancy-shaped crackers. The National Biscuit Company, which later the name was changed to Nabisco, started making these animal crackers. In 1930, as a result of the Great Depression, people didn't have money. They couldn't go out and buy gifts. Nabisco decided in 1930 to come out with a new idea. So they got these, they individualized them. They sold them in these little cardboard boxes. They decorated it like a a circus wagon. Actually, they actually had 
if you could punch out the bottom of the box and the wheels would drop down and you could actually set them up and look like a circus wagon. And then they did something distinctively unique. They put a string on the package. And the intention of the string, the sole purpose, was to make it a Christmas ornament that parents could buy this, cost a nickel a box. That was back when everything had to be cheaper, you couldn't afford it. And they would hang that string on a Christmas tree. That was an ornament with some animal crackers for the kids. Unique idea, and it hit a market that just exploded. Everybody was buying these individual sized animal cracker boxes. So, we're going to do two things this morning to say Merry Christmas to you. All of the young people that are here and, and you worked on the outline, if you come and show that to me, we're going to give you a box of animal crackers. They're not in the cages anymore, by the way. The animals all got freed. They're liberated. But we have a box of liberated animal crackers. So if you come and show me your paper, we're going to make sure you get one. Uh, for the adults, we don't want to leave you out. We got hot chocolate waiting for you right out there in the foyer on the way out. Stop and fix some hot chocolate for yourself, okay? Let's stand together. Before I dismiss you, I just need to make this challenge. If you've not, at this by now, accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, it's real simple. All you have to do is say a simple prayer and say, Lord, I believe in you. I'm a sinner, and I believe you paid the price for my sin. I ask you to forgive my sin and send your spirit to live inside of me. If you'll say a simple prayer like that, God will begin the process of working in your life. You just have to ask him. It's so simple that we don't think it works. It does work. Try it. Put God to the test. And see if he won't honor his word. Just open your heart to him and watch what great things God does. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for my brothers and sisters who have come here today. And I thank you for maybe, maybe someone who's come in this morning just checking you out because it's Christmas time. I pray that you will take this as our search. We're searching you. And Father, we pray that you'll help every person in this room to find you and to find peace with you. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. On your way out, you find the hot chocolate. And uh, if you come up and show me, young people, uh, you get your box of animal crackers.